and we're back. Another episode of Hockey Mountain High, your go-to avalanche podcast. It's, uh, you know, no longer the regular season. It's like the start of a new season, you know, when you get your new uh, TV shows and a new season starts and you're excited for it. That's basically what it is now, right? It's the off-season time, so this is the first podcast of the off-season. You know, we got a new podcast strategy. We're no longer analyzing stuff, a lot of speculation, a lot of looking forward. So it's that time, Arif. Of course, I'm your host, JJ, with me, Arif Dean. Arif, how was your off-season? It's going well. I'm catching one hockey game a day and enjoying the outdoors. I'm going on vacation this weekend. It's it's Colorado and it's mid-June, late June. I am not going to complain. Right, but it's over. Your off-season's over and it's back to work for us until at least the uh, draft, the uh, expansion draft, right? That's pretty much the next break. The, cra- the crazy thing is, usually this is the week where it gets crazy. It's the, yeah. it's the NHL draft in the June 20 range and then free agency July 1st and then it gets a little wonky until about mid-July. Well, this year is going to be late June, or sorry, late July. You're going to have the expansion draft, and then you're going to have the NHL entry draft, and then you're going to have free agency on about the 28th, give or take a day or two, I believe is the date. And then early August is still going to have a little bit of traction, and then it's going to die down. Given where the avalanche are with the contracts, they have to you know get figured out, especially Kale McCarr. It might drag into August, so it's going to be a little different this year. Yeah, and then training camp usually starts, what, the last two, three weeks of September. So it looks like we'll probably have about a yep. month uh, to kind of exhale for a second. But like I said, this is the start of the offseason, so strap in and time for some offseason podcasts. Like you're saying, we're watching some hockey lately. It's been fun. And as as fans, you can't help but think, what if, right? And you look at the Vegas-Montreal yeah. series, and you're like, what would be going on if Colorado was playing in this series? So let's you know, hypothesize a little bit and see kind of what you think what would what would you speculate the series would look like if the avalanche were currently playing montreal because montreal obviously putting up a bigger fight than i think anybody expected out of them yeah so i think what would be happening is we would be seeing a similar type of series a far more physical uh defensive grinding of a team like the montreal canadians playing a far more skilled and offensive powerhouse like the avalanche or right now the vegas golden knights The only difference is we would be seeing a few more goals, and I'll tell you why. On the Avalanche's end, Philip Grubauer probably won't be making as many 10 out of 10 saves that you would see from Leonard or Fleury, so the Habs would get a few more goals. But on the other side of it, no matter how good Carey Price is, no matter how well he's playing, I heard you talk about this with Ryan Bolding on Saturday, the Golden Knights just have a reputation of being unable to score in the playoffs. The Avalanche don't. And that's aside from the fact of what happened in the series with the Avs and the Golden Knights. I'm talking here as if the Avalanche continued what they did in games one and two. They won that series against Vegas. I think they would have put a few more pucks past Carey Price, but I think the Montreal Canadiens would have also gotten a couple more breaks on Philip Grubauer because he isn't Marc-Andre Fleury and he's not Robert Leonard. Uh, And maybe I'm just, you know, thinking that because of the way that it ended for Philip Grubauer, uh, not to take away from the season he had. But in the end, I think we would be in the exact same position. It would be a 2-2 two to two series heading into Game 5 in Denver, knowing the Avalanche are the far more skilled team, knowing they can take a stranglehold lead if they win this Game 5 in, in Denver, uh, like the Golden Knights right now, and, and, and seeing where it goes from there. I don't think the Avalanche would have swept their way through Montreal. Yeah, I think we'd be talking a lot about Carey Price and how he's inevitably shutting down the avalanche like you said Vegas Golden Knights have a tendency and now a reputation of not being able to score in the playoffs 
Well, I think the Avalanche have a tendency and a reputation of not being able to score on a good goalie. Arif, let me take you back to January 12th. I know this is a long time. January 12th, 2019. Oof. Yeah, long time ago, I know. But it was the last time the Colorado Avalanche faced Carey Price. Now, they've played, they've played Montreal since then, but it was actually Caden Primo in net. So Carey Price, last time the Avalanche met him, had a 28-save shutout as the Montreal Canadiens blanked the Colorado Avalanche 3-0. Nathan McKinnon snaps an eight-game point streak. And I want to read you this little tidbit from uh, me going back into the game, reading the recap and everything. The Avalanche's top trio has scored nearly half of the team's goals, but it was harmless against the Canadians, who clogged up the neutral zone and limited the visitors' chances. Now, does that sound kind of familiar to you? I mean, it, to me, it sounds almost exactly what Vegas did, and it sounds like ca the Canadians have the goalie to take out the Colorado Avalanche, and as well, the strategy. Now, I'm with you. I'm not saying that the uh, Canadians would be beating the Avalanche by any means. I, I think a 2-2... It would be a series. Right. A 2-2 series would be fair, and I don't think they would steamroll them like all of us kind of uh, were thinking two weeks ago. Yeah, and, and that's kind of the way it goes in the playoffs. All you need in the playoffs is a little bit of luck, a little bit of bounces, and a goalie to steal some games. And, and you know, it can be the Carey Prices and the Marc-Andre Fleury's of the world that are known to be some of the better goalies in the NHL. Or it could be some random schmo off the street like Antti Niemi coming out of nowhere and winning the Blackhawks a cup. Or or not that he's a schmo, but Tim Thomas coming out of nowhere and playing the, you know, the series he had and the season he had in 2011. So... Basically, what you need on any given season is your goalie to just go lights out for an entire playoff run. Pretty much that's what it's going to take to win a cup. And that's what you're getting in Montreal right now. And you're getting it out of a guy who's one of the best goalies in the NHL at playoff slash uh, winner take all types of games. Carey Price rarely wins in the regular season, shutting out the avalanche aside. It's funny because... <laughs> Uh, I remember my favorite statistic from the regular season was the Avalanche had been shut out twice in the last 102 regular season games, and both times were to Marc-Andre Fleury, who is a future Hall of Famer, who has the third most NHL wins behind Patty Waugh and, and, and Marty Brodeur, who is uh, getting up there in playoff wins, so on and so forth. But the Avalanche, uh, sorry, the Montreal Canadiens, they're riding a Carey Price who is known for being a goalie that no matter what he does in the regular season, he comes in in the playoffs and he kills it. He comes in in the Olympics and he kills it. Right now, if there was one goalie that you wanted to take for your team to win, or to, win or to, to win a winner take all game, it's Carey Price. And he's proving exactly why against the Golden Knights. He would likely be doing it against the Avalanche's top line, albeit I don't think he would be doing it as well. Despite what the Avalanche's scores, you know, were shut, the way they were shut down against Vegas, I still think the Avalanche would be doing a better job against the Habs than the Vegas is in terms of offense. But by no means would the Avalanche be having an easy series right now. And if you beat the Montreal Canadiens, congratulations. You're either going to play the best coach defensive team led by Barry Trotz and an old friend in Semyon Varlamov, or you're going to play Andre Vasilevsky, who's this generation's Dominic Hasek. So yeah, it would not be as easy a road to the cup as, as we had thought when the Avalanche entered exactly. the second round. Exactly. And that's kind of what I love about this current series, right? I mean, you've got what was Marc-Andre Fleury. Now, of course, they've switched to Leonard. But Fleury versus Price versus Vasilevsky versus Varley. I mean, I love all these 
goaltender matchups. All first round draft picks, by the way. Yeah, I love. I mean, I just love that. So, but to the same point, you know, if the Avalanche were to get past and were to eventually face Tampa Bay, I think Vasilevsky throws a whole another pile of fits there and and struggles for the Avalanche too. Um, One other thing I wanted to talk about Montreal. Oh, go ahead. Before before you get to that, actually, you give your point first because I have a little tidbit of of Vasilevsky and where he was drafted. Go ahead. I was going to move on, so go ahead. Okay. So Andre Vasilevsky, I I like to I like to give my Red Wing friends fits over this every once in a while a while to remind them what happened. The Avalanche traded Kyle Quincy back in 2012, 2011, 2012, or 2012-13, whatever it was, way back then. Uh, they traded Kyle Quincy to the Tampa Bay Lightning in a one-for-one deal for Steve Downey. Mm-hmm. Does that ring a bell? That very same day, so it ended up being a three-way trade. Minutes later, Steve Eisenman, who was running the Lightning at the time, took Kyle Quincy and flipped him to the Red Wings for a first-round draft pick. That first-round draft pick from the Red Wings was used to select Andre Vasilevsky. So the Red Wings ultimately, in the years where they were just scrapping and clawing to make the playoffs to keep that 25-year playoff streak, gave up a first-round draft pick that ended up turning into Andre Vasilevsky, drafted by the guy who was now their GM, to get Kyle Quincy on defense. Oof. And I always give my Red Wing, <laughs> yeah, bad trade. I always give my Red Wing fan friends like, ah, you guys traded the draft pick for Quincy. And then it hit me the other day. You're the avalanche. It's 2012. What do you need Steve Downey for? You could have traded yourself without involving Eisenman and the Tampa Bay Lightning. You are the avalanche, whoever the heck their GM was at the time. You could have traded Greg Sherman, Kyle Quincy to the Red Wings, for a first rounder without involving Tampa Bay and gotten the draft pick used to select Vasilevsky. They probably wouldn't have selected Vasilevsky because the Avalanche never draft goalies high. But it's just f- crazy to think of that three-way trade. It involves the rivalry. It involves Steve Eiserman. It involves Eiserman hosing the Red Wings. And now he's coaching. It's just he's GM of the Red Wings. It's just a whole big thing. And this is this generation's best goaltender by far. And they got him. Kyle freaking Quincy, who they had just acquired minutes early for that nutcase named Steve Downey. That's wild. I mean, it's it's crazy to think what could have been, right? And that that's also what I yeah. think about when I see the uh, Islanders making more of a push than I expected because you also think, well, what if it would have been the Avalanche and Islanders in the final? How freaking cool would that have been to see uh, Varley against his old team and uh, Devon Taves against his old team in a final? Oh, that would have been man. sweet, right? Yeah. Yeah, that would have been a lot of fun, especially with Gruby going against Varley. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I look at Corey Perry, and I feel like, man, he he kind of strikes me as a, a guy that the Avalanche could use. Maybe not this version, but a guy just like him. It's almost like what Saad was meant to be when they brought him in, right? Just that veteran presence, knows how to win, can kind of lead the locker room and you know give the guys tidbits here and there. But it seems like Corey Perry does a little bit better of a job than Brandon Saad, considering he's now uh, you know further... Uh, than the Avalanche in both the last two seasons. Yeah, I think the Avalanche focus this year, and this is where you don't want to go too far in the other direction. Don't do what Toronto did because Toronto was all skill and forward and power and and we're going to go out there and outscore every team. And then we all said, oh, uh, you need leadership and you need grittiness and you need veterans. So they went out and signed Wayne Simmons and they brought back Jason Spezza, who's been a good player for them. Then they signed Joe Thornton. Then they went out and traded a first round draft pick for Nick Felino. Suddenly their locker room's a bunch of geezers and Mitch Marner, <laughs> a bunch of guys that can no longer produce and Mitch Marner and Austin Matthews. They went too far in the other direction. 
So when the Avalanche brought in Brandon Saad, the point was, just like everything else they do, we're not just going to go out and provide and, and bring somebody in who's just a physical presence just for the sake. It's the same thing they did when they bought in Nazem Kadri. It's he's going to provide us with offense. He's going to score. He's going to do all those things. But on top of that, he is A, B, and C. Brandon Saad scored a bunch of goals in the playoffs. He had a hell of a playoff. And in fact, we're going to talk about this later on. I think the Avalanche need to work to bring him back. But you don't want to go too far in the other direction. You don't want to take your top, your you know, your bottom six and take out a 15, 20 goal or uh, or not 15. This is a real season now. A 20, 25 goal scorer in Jonas Donskoy and replace him with somebody who's going to provide four goals because he's got a bloody nose after a high stick that was missed and he's, you know, celebrating with his teammates. So I get what you're saying. You just want to make sure if you are the Avs, if you are Joe Sackick, you don't try an overcorrection. You just try to lean more towards what you need, which I absolutely agree. They need more guys like that, especially in your middle six wingers, which I've talked about in the past. Well, I remember early in the season, uh, they had to waiver wire him and send him to the taxi squad at one point. Like he wasn't even a mainstay in the death chart. So he didn't he didn't start the season. He didn't start the season on the on the roster. And Paul Byron was a waiver wire guy like three times this year. And and those are two of your most crucial players in this run, especially Byron and, and Perry opening night wasn't even on the roster and then you got to look at the coaching aspect right I mean they've recently switched coaches from Julian to Descharm and then we had the COVID incident where Descharm wasn't even able to coach um you know I, I think there's more to be said for the group of guys you have on a team than the coach right yeah. I mean they've spent all year preparing so they know what they're doing at this point it's about the guys on the team I know last podcast we were discussing you know the question of Jared Bednar and you know his future with the team and at that point it's just out of his control and it's definitely in the players hands right I think a coach plays a factor I think the Canadians just have the right the right group of guys where it doesn't matter as much it's the Corey Perry's it's the Shea Weber's it's the Carey Price's the Avalanche don't have enough of those they have one in Brendan Saad like if if you take Saad and you stick him on that team with a Shea Weber, with a Corey Perry, with a Carey Price, guys that have won Stanley Cups and Olympic gold medals, obviously, you know, Price and Weber haven't won Stanley Cups, but they've won Olympic gold medals. They've been leaders on teams. They've been leaders in this league. They're veteran presences that know what they're doing. You stick Brandon Saad with that group, suddenly he fits right in. But with the Avalanche, he was the only guy. They have Pierre-Edouard Belmar, who's been to a finals with Vegas, and that's about it. And other than that, I mean, you don't have many other guys that provide the same type of leadership qualities as those guys do in terms of veteran presence that can still produce. And and I say produce loosely when I'm talking about Belmar. So the coaching matters on some teams. And I think we saw Bednar get out coached by Pete DeBoer in that last series. But on other teams, it just doesn't matter as much. And there, there's no way in hell that you're telling me Luke Richardson, assistant, co- uh, assistant coach Luke Richardson and assistant coach uh, Alex Burrows are suddenly studs that can run an NHL team. It's Carey Price, it's Shea Weber, it's Corey Perry. It's this group they have. It's Josh Anderson awaking to, to score two goals in that one game after having a poor playoffs. It's They have the right group of guys. So I agree with you, it can work if you have the right guys in the room. Ryan Getzloff. Ryan freaking Getzloff. Character guys and leaders. Not saying the Avalanche lack character at all, <laughs> but they just are, are missing the type of character. They're lacking. That pushes you across. They're lacking a big, bald centerman <laughs> named Ryan Getzloff. Big, bald? Oh, bald. Big, bald centerman. I get it. I get it. Bald. 
as a like no hair on Arif his head. said, <laughs> as Arif said, we're gonna get more into Braden's side here. We got a long conversation planned, so I'm gonna get to this early here and knock it out. Tell you guys about my friends at DraftKings Sportsbook. It's not only my favorite sportsbook, but also America's top rated sportsbook. I love using DraftKings Sportsbook. It's easy to navigate, has plenty of instructions for new betters, and nearly limitless ways you can get in on all the action. My friends, my family have all been loving DraftKings Sportsbook, and I know you will too. Listen to this great offer. DraftKings Sportsbook is putting you courtside with a chance to turn $1 into $100 in site credits. That's right. Pick any basketball team that is still in contention. There's only four left. Bet $1, and if that team wins, you win $100 in site credits. Don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook also offers great odds and promotions on baseball, hockey, and so much more all week long. I've been betting on the Euro for the last couple weeks, loving it. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable, so you can deposit and withdraw your funds at your convenience. So download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use the promo code MHS when you sign up to turn $1 into $100 in free credits. Bet on the basketball team of your choice to win the next game, and if they do, you will claim $100 in free credits. That's promo code MHS for a limited time only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, Colorado only, new customers only, wager paid out in site credits, restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. So moving on, time to uh, look ahead at the future and, you know, abs have some stuff to figure out with the roster. I mean, looking up at Cap Friendly recently, it's kind of alarming the amount of UFAs and FAs that you're seeing pop up. So, um, you know, I know you're kind of of the belief of bringing back as many guys as possible. I guess let's get a little bit deeper into that and and justify, yeah, kind of your thought. Break, walk us through it. Yeah. So if you're the avalanche, number one, I need to start off this podcast by saying that um, the Gabe Landeskog situation is intriguing. And the Gabe Landeskog situation being the fact that he's not signed, Free agency is in a month. We've heard nothing about him. Joe Sackick has yet to do his end of season press conference, which usually comes pretty quick. The expansion draft is coming up. And there is people like Elliot Friedman going on his own podcast and saying things like the Avalanche are going to do everything in their power to keep Gabe Landeskog as if this isn't a sure thing yet. That is intriguing to me because I am very curious. He said the Avalanche are going to do everything in their power to keep Gabe Landeskog. My roommate, Mike Chambers, actually recently wrote a column saying, because he has a source that says that Gabe is looking for $8 million. And he said, if Gabe is looking for $8 million, he can go look for that in Seattle or elsewhere. It's not going to come from the Avalanche. And then Elliot Friedman said, the Avalanche are going to do everything in their power to keep Gabe Landeskog. I'm going to combine those two statements. I don't know who Mike's source is. I don't even want to get into that discussion. I don't know who Elliot Friedman's source is. I don't care about that discussion. But I'm going to combine those two statements and say, the Avalanche are going to do everything within reason to bring Gabe Landeskog back. So what that means is if Gabe is looking for $8 million, it's not going to come from the Avalanche. And players always ask and have a higher ask than what they end up signing for. It's a very normal thing. It's not alarming if, you know, there is, in fact, truth behind Gabe wanting $8 million. But I just think that this entire conversation is intriguing that we don't have a clear word. Like, we're we're talking about this as if it's a sure thing. Like, yeah, of course Gabe is going to be back. But Petrangelo left St. Louis. John Tavares left the Islanders. Those were far different situations. I completely understand that. But there is something to be said about Gabe Landeskog not having signed yet and us not knowing anything, nor having had the ability to speak to Joe Sackick yet. You got to think he's the 
item one on Joe Sackick's to-do list for the offseason. Yes. But at $8 million, that definitely sounds tough. But let me ask you this, Arif. Is Mm-mm. Gabe Landeskog, with or without the avalanche, worth $8 million a year? Uh, you're worth what somebody's willing to pay. And uh, I think he can get seven and a half, maybe eight on the market. But I I will say that, and, and again, I'm not sitting here talking as if this is a confirmed thing. I'm just saying, hypothetically, if Gabe Landeskog was looking for eight million, given the cap situation and the cap implications and where we are with the NHL after COVID, you're going to get that, sure. But you might get that from a team that doesn't sniff the playoffs for the entirety of your contract. Be it the Seattle Kraken, who... Uh, I think people are forgetting that the Kraken are not the Golden Knights and they don't have any players on their team yet. There is no guarantee that Seattle is going to be a good team. There's no guarantee that Seattle makes it out of the first round in the next decade. We we need to stop looking at Seattle as if they're the next Golden Knights. So it might come from Seattle, might come from a New Jersey and Arizona. Who knows? The teams that have the cap space to make it work aren't going to be the teams that make the playoffs. And I think Gabe knows better than to leave a situation where like Pierre, uh, not Pierre, like uh, Elliot Friedman said in his podcast, he's been super loyal to the Avalanche and the Avalanche have been loyal to him. And he saw this rebuild through. Why the hell would he leave now? I mean, I guess my real thought is, you know, you look at the Miko Rantanen contract at 9.25, right? And I think that's a big reason that Gabe's like, you know, I, I want to get closer to that number. I know Nate has a pretty generous price, um, but I'm not looking to be closer to that end. I'm looking to get more Miko Rantanen money because A, I've been here longer. I've done more for this organization than Miko Rantanen has, maybe ever will. Who knows? That's very arguable. Um, and I, I know Miko Rantanen has a lot of talent, but he's not your captain, right? So I think Gabe Landeskog saying I want $8 million is, in his mind, being a little bit generous because it's still below that Miko Rantanen number. Yeah, that's understandable, but it's the understanding, but but it's 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 understandable for him to think that, but it's also the the realization that that's just not going to come from the Avalanche. Uh, the Avalanche are going to do everything in their power to not end in a situation like Toronto, where you give in to everybody's demands and suddenly you have three eleven million dollar forwards. I mean, not that that's the case, but that's the situation you don't want to end up in. I mean, there's a there's my favorite comparable to what the Avalanche are hoping to take or hoping to sign Gabe to is Brendan Gallagher in Montreal. He signed a six-year deal for $39 million in October of 2020 at six and a half a year. If you're Gabe Landeskog, that's a pretty good-looking deal. You want to up it to 6.75, even $7 million flat over five years? Sure. But that's the kind of contract you're looking for because that's the kind of player you are. You are a 65 to 75 point player on a good line. Off that line, you're not a 65 to 75 point player, but you're a 65 to 75 point player who is an offensive, uh, sorry, who is a leader who can help and pitch in offensively, who's a physical force, who can do things like fight Braden Shen off the opening drawn, who can do things like crack Ryan O'Reilly off the opening face off and, you know, set up goals and have all the excitement he had in that first round series but you're also not a game-breaking 100-point player, which is what Miko Rantanen is, which is what Nathan McKinnon is. Granted, neither has hit it yet, but both are expected to hit it in their careers multiple times. So if you're Gabe Landeskog, six and a half, seven million, especially in this new salary cap world, looks pretty good if you want to stay with the Avalanche. And you think that's, from the Avalanche's standpoint, that's where they should come in with their offer? I think so. I think so. He was making 5.7. I think a $1 million raise on that is reasonable for a five-year deal. Uh, we'll give you 6.75 over five. 
We'll give you 6.5 over five. I think it's a very reasonable deal for him. I think it's a reasonable deal for the Avs. He just made 40 million. He made about 5 million off his entry-level deal when you include the bonuses. He's made 45 million. So if he makes another 33 on this deal, great. If he wants the extra, you know, one point something million and he wants to make 39 on this deal and he wants to make it elsewhere, uh, then you're going to have a career earning of, let's see, 30, 45 plus 33. You're going to have a career earning of 78 million at the end of this deal by staying with the Avalanche, probably winning multiple cups, or you're going to have a career earning of 85 million elsewhere. 85 is a bigger number than 78, uh, but playing in New Jersey, Arizona, Seattle, so on, so forth, whatever team you want to say that may never make the cup finals that may never win it because it's all just a big question mark. Um, the reality is he's not the guy looking for his big deal right now. He got his money. he made $40 million. He's got all the sponsorships of, of Labatt Blue and all the fun commercials he makes. He's not looking for that big money deal. He's Marion Hosa, who took a long contract with the Blackhawks for just over $5 million when he could have made seven or eight elsewhere, including Pittsburgh, by the way, the year before he signed with Detroit, offered him seven and a half on a long-term deal. He's uh, Taylor Hall this year, who I bet you anything signs for less than six and a half million to play long-term with the Boston Bruins because he's done jumping around the Buffaloes and the New Jersey's making seven, eight, nine million trying to look for that big deal. Screw it. I made mine. Let's go and find that lesser deal on a team that could win. Gabe has that team. That team can give you 6.75, maybe 7 million. Do you want to give that up to hit the 8 million mark? And he's a family man lately, right? I mean, he's got two, two new kids. He really gives off the vibe that he's comfortable here in Colorado. He likely wants to stay. So, I mean, yeah, that seems like a reasonable offer for him. My only question is looking over at the defensive group and the EJ contract, is a long-term offer to Gabe Landeskog yes. something you think is beneficiary to the Avalanche? Five years is not a long-term offer, in my opinion, for someone who's going to turn 29. He'll be, he'll How be 28 right and 29. Now? He's EJ's 33, 32, 30. Okay. He's 33, 32. And he's had a hell of a lot more injury issues than, uh, uh, Gabe Landeskog has in his career. Mm-hmm. Kind of. Yeah. I mean, yeah, no, I get it, but okay. But here's the thing. He's going to be 28 and 29, 29, 30, 30, 31, 32, 31, 32, 32, 33. So the last year of Gabe Landeskog's deal and the five-year proposed deal that I'm giving him is going to be a 32 slash 33 year old season. If you're so cash-strapped by the Gabe Landeskog starting a season as a 32-year-old and turning 33 in the last year of his deal making six point, let's say, $8 million, that that's going to kill your cap to the point where you can't win, then you're, you're doing it wrong anyway. Because I see nothing that says that over the next three or four years, Gabe Landeskog is going to slow down. Maybe in year five, but even then, what's he going to slow down to a 35 to 40 point player who's on your second or third line grinding it out and being your team captain? Sign me up. Yeah, I just think the last thing you want to do is be exactly where they are with EJ right now. Of course, I'm with you on all those stances on what he's like today, but you know, four or five years down the road, suddenly you have a replacement for him and you're stuck kind of holding the bag on on a guy that's not producing anymore. I mean, I'm just kind of playing devil's advocate. It's not that I really... No, no, yeah, but but here's, here's the thing with the EJ contract, and this is something that I thought in my head when the contract that EJ signed was handed to him. Seven years at six million per, I believe, is the deal. There's two years left on that contract. How great would it be to say this summer EJ's contract has expired? On the fifth year, right? Yeah. On the fifth year. 
on the fifth year of someone in his low 30s. That is a very reasonable number for someone coming off of a seven-year contract. Gabe Landeskog, no matter if he stays with the Avalanche or goes elsewhere, he's not going to get an eight-year deal anywhere. He's not going to get a seven-year deal anywhere. Well, the Avalanche are the only team that can give him eight years. Coming off a seven-year deal, playing the game he plays, I can see him going out. Remember Paul Stastny when he left the Avalanche? Everybody's talking about him going, getting a long-term deal somewhere. He got four years from the St. Louis Blues at seven per. Seven per was a big number, but they only gave Paul Stastny four years, and he's still kicking it in the NHL. If Gabe hits the market, I can see him getting, you know, 32 million over four years or something like that. 33 million over four years. So a little over 8 million cap hit, but it'd be on a worse team likely. It would be, it would be 100% because the worst teams are the only teams that can afford it. And most of the other teams are worse than the avalanche, right? So yeah, exactly. Right. I mean, it's not even just like, oh, it's a worse team. Like, oh, hmm, the avalanche are a top three contender. The Bruins are a top five. Yeah. I'll take Boston for more money. No, it's like. You're going to make the avalanche or you're going to go sign with Detroit or with uh, Buffalo or with Arizona, maybe New Jersey. Teams that are where you just got out of with the avalanche. Do you really want to deal with that again? So that's kind of the situation. And I just don't see him getting more than a five-year deal anywhere, given the fact that he's already played 10 years in the NHL. And this is going to take you to year 15 on a player that plays a pretty rugged style of hockey. Sticking with the forward group, and we already got into him a little bit, so let's get into him now like we promised everybody, and that's Brandon Saad. Uh, like you're saying, you're trying to juggle some numbers around to make sure the Avs keep Brandon Saad. Is Brandon Saad a guy you need back? Need? Because looking around at the other free agents within his realm, I see some pretty good names there. Who are some of the names that you're seeing, out of curiosity? I mean, I, I like some uh, I like some guys, obviously, like you said, Getzloff. I like the idea of Hall. I think Boston brings him back. Krejci, they have some juggling to do themselves in Boston. Who knows if he actually gets signed. I kind of like the idea of Paul Stasny. I know he's old and, and slow and a, a bit expensive at this point, but I, I like the idea. He kind of brings a similar tool belt. And uh, those are all the guys above Brandon Saad um, on Cat Friendly that I'm looking at that, that are names that I... Wouldn't mind replacing Brandon Saad. The biggest thing about all three of those names, Krejci, Stastny, and Getzloff, is all three of them are centermen. So what you're doing by signing Krejci, Getzloff, or Stastny is you're saying Tyson Jost, your spot is no longer needed. He's kind of tough your to squeeze in, though. I mean, he's one of the many free agents that they have to Avalanche have to juggle this year, and it feels... That's somebody, I again, I, I had this conversation with Mike, and that's somebody that I, I don't feel as strongly about him being a necessity to re-sign as mm -hmm. Mike does. Um, and that's with the fact that I believe that JT Confer is no longer going to be on the Avalanche next season, and I'll get into that. Brandon Saad is the kind of winger that you need. And I've said this in a past episode, but your middle six wingers right now are Saad, Donskoy, Nechushkin, and Burakovsky. Saad plays one style of game. The other three are finesse, skilled European players. I mean, it doesn't matter that they're European. It's just a coincidence. I'm not going to sit here and be like, oh yeah, the rugged Canadian and American and the, no. But all three of those guys are finesse guys. If you're the avalanche of your four middle six wingers, two of those guys need to play a more rugged style of hockey in my opinion. So if you're going to keep, if you're not going to keep Brandon Saad and you're going to get rid of him, well, now you have uh, Nichushkin, you have Burakovsky, and you have Donskoy. Which one of those guys are you going to get rid of and who are the two replacements going to be? That's kind of why I feel like Brandon Saad is a guy you need to re-sign. The days of Brandon Saad signing a longer term, bigger money deal, I think are gone. And I'm going to give you my favorite comparable to him. And he, th that comparable is playing on the Montreal Canadiens right now. It's Tyler Toffoli. Four years, 
four and a half million dollars a year. Would you take that deal for Brandon Saad, 27 years old? Yeah, I mean, it's a price cut for him, isn't it? Would he take it is a question. I think so, because uh, he's coming off a year, a contract where he was making $6 million. He's coming off a year where he scored uh, 14 regular season goals, and obviously eight playoff goals helps a ton. But again, your brand inside, you can make $6 million as a winger on insert lesser team here, or you can make four and a half as a winger on the avalanche. And I understand that I'm, I'm sitting over here kind of romanticizing the idea of everybody taking a pay cut, but... We need to remember pay cuts happen in the NHL as much as they don't happen. They also happen. It just depends on the person and who wants to seek the pay cut rather than the better team or sorry, rather than the higher paying team and who wants to seek the better team rather than the the, the higher paying team. So Brandon Saad strikes me as somebody who you can get for four years, 18 million. Gabe Landeskog strikes me as somebody you can get for 6.6 million. You plug both those guys in. You re-sign Kale McCarr, which is the next guy we'll talk about, and suddenly you're starting to be able to make it all work. So I guess how do you get better? I think the Avalanche have a couple aces up their sleeve to help juggle the the cap situation, and I think those aces are Martin Kaut, Logan O'Connor, Alex Newcook, and Shane Bowers, right? You can easily bring those guys up. Um, but I think you, you still have to find a way to improve, a, a way to step forward, yes. because obviously the team that they had this year wasn't enough. If you just bring back the same guys and expect the same uh, or expect better results, I think, you know, you're a little bit crazy. So how do you get better here? All right. So I'm going to start with looking at the forward group that I have. You know what? I'm going to include the defenseman, too. I'm going to tell you what I think Kel McCarr signs for. I have this kind of all written out, how much cap space is left, and then what the Avalanche can do on top of this. Because obviously, you're not going to come into the same... You're not going to come into the season with just the guys that you had this year. Well, and not to mention, you also, you know, looking at who the Seattle Kraken will likely pick from the Avalanche, you're probably going to have about yes. three and a half to four mil freed up right around there. Exactly. Yes. And then there's also going to be the fact that we always sit here like last year. We're like, oh, let's sign Taylor Hall and let's sign Corey Crawford and let's sign this guy and sign that guy. And Joe Sackick's like, no, no, I'm going to go trade for a defenseman you never thought of and Brandon Saad. And we're like, oh, hell yeah. What a great <laughs> offseason. And then free agency, I'm going to bring in nobody. Miko Salamaki. That's my big free agent for the summer and Kiefer Sherwood. So, yeah, there's always going to be curveballs that we don't think of. But, you know, here's what I have written down. Gabe Landeskog making six and a half. Rough number. Obviously, McKinnon and Rantanen. Brandon Saad making four and a half. Kadri Burakovsky. Nichushkin, Newhook, Donskoy on the third line. Ranta, Jost, O'Connor on the fourth line. Again, these are not the line combinations that I want. I'm just giving you a depth chart. So those are 12 forwards under contract. Jost, I have him. I have Jost penciled in at two million. How do you feel about that? I think, yeah, I mean, that's a, I think he would love that. And if the Avalanche can squeeze that in with everything else that they're juggling, that, that, like I said earlier, I think he's the one that's kind of left out with, yeah. man, whatever we have left, we can give to Jost. So basically, what I've done is Rantanen, McKinnon, Kadri, Burakovsky, Donskoy, Newhook, Nichushkin, Ranta, and O'Connor. Those are nine forwards that are already under contract for the Avalanche. All I did was say Gabe makes six and a half, Saad makes four and a half, and Jost makes two. So now you have 12 forwards, which is obviously what you need to ice a team. And then on defense, I have Kale McCarr making $10 million. I don't know if that's a long-term deal or a short-term deal. That's just a number that I'm using just for, I don't know what McCarr is going to sign for. That's a very interesting conversation. Is he going to take two years at nine a year or eight a year? Is he going to want to take a longer-term deal at 11? I genuinely don't know what he's going to want to do, but I'm just saying for the purpose of looking at cap numbers and seeing how much cap space is left... 
I have Makar making a reasonable 10, Taves 4.1, Johnson 6, Gerard 5, Byram 894, which is, you know, these are all guys that are under contract, minus Makar. Connor Timmins, he's an RFA. I re-signed him for 1.25. What do you feel about that? Fair. I mean, he'll. it's a definitely an upgrade for him. I think he'll take it. Yes. And then you have Pavel Francouz in goal making 2 million. So now what you're missing is one more goalie, an extra forward, and an extra defenseman to play number seven and number 13, or what the Avalanche like to do and just carry 21 rosters players. Obviously, there's going to be no taxi squad this year, so you're going to need to make sure you have an extra guy to go. So if you're the Avalanche, you're going to want to carry uh, an extra forward, an extra defenseman, and a starting goalie. With all the numbers that I just gave out, I also have Ryan Graves and JT Comfer off the team. One of them got selected by Vegas. I genuinely think it's going to be Graves. Seattle. The other one, the, uh, sorry, by Seattle. The other one being JT Comfer traded or vice versa, whatever it may be. And I, I, I have the other one getting traded as a cap dump. So JT Comfer has been traded three and a half million for nothing for, for no roster players. I should say maybe picks, maybe prospects, maybe a depth guy that, you know, sees ice time later. So what I've just given you are 12 forwards, six defensemen, and Pavel Francouz in goal without the extra forward, without the extra defenseman, without the goalie to play with Frankie. And it leaves the Avalanche with $5.4 million in cap space. Oof. Feels a little oof, right? Now let me say something else. Donskoy, Nichushkin, and Burakovsky. Nichushkin's got two more years left on his deal. Donskoy's got two more years left on his deal. Andre Burakovsky has one, and then he's a UFA, and he makes 4.9. Is there any world in any way that in the summer of 2022, the Avalanche will ever have Andre Burakovsky making more than 4.9, given the fact that the salary cap is not going to rise in a season from now? No. Okay. So as much as it hurts to say this, that's the wild card. There's two wild cards for me. I'll get into the second one now. The wild card for me is the Avalanche find a way to trade Andre Burakovsky this summer for a more rugged style winger. I don't know who. Maybe they trade him and sign Zach Hyman. Well, Zach Hyman's going to want more than 4.9. But, you know, that kind of a player. Someone more like Brandon Sock. Someone more like Gabe Landeskog. I think the Avalanche are going to trade Burakovsky this summer, replace him with somebody making, let's say, 2.9, which you can get a reasonable forward. Now, suddenly, you don't have 5.4 million in cap space. You have 7.4 million in cap space. Here's the thing that I'm going to say to you. And this is going to go against everything we've talked about the last month. And then I will get into the second wild card the Avalanche have. Has Philip Grubauer's Vezina Trophy finalist season priced him out of Colorado? I would absolutely say so. I mean, I did a lot of my research on this because I knew we'd be talking about it. And the worst thing in the avalanche's favor here so the biggest detriment to colorado is just the free agent goalie names above him yeah and below him there's one i like too but yes go on right so i think you know i think he's easily making at least six mil elsewhere and we know he likes being in colorado but as you said not everybody's willing to take a pay cut so i think a a two million dollar raise would be worth if i'm philip grubauer considering leaving colorado Brandon Saad just came off of a five-year, $30 million deal where he was making six per. Gabe Landeskog just came off a seven-year deal making $40 million, 5.7 per season. Philip Grubauer hasn't gotten his yet. If you're Philip Grubauer and the Toronto Maple Leafs come knocking and say, we'll give you $6 million, you take it. If you're Philip Grubauer and the uh, Washington Capitals come knocking, 
oh, that's a funny team. That's where he played. Uh, whatever. You get the point. Somebody comes knocking and says, we'll give you X amount of dollars that starts with a six or more. You take it. You've played yourself off the avalanche because you were a $3.3 million goalie. And if you remember what we were podcasting about, I would say 12 months ago, but it was more like eight months ago during the last off season, it was, uh, let's sign Corey Crawford or let's sign somebody else because this $3.3 million in uh, goalie in Philip Grubauer just isn't cutting it. Well, now he's pretty much guaranteed almost doubling that number, if not doubling it. Well, we talked all year long how this defensive group was a big had a big responsibility in helping Philip Grubauer and how they really took the load off of him all season long. So that makes me think, how expendable is Philip Grubauer really? I mean, do we point the success of him this year at him or do we point it at the defensive group? Because in my mind, I kind of feel you, you get a decent goalie in behind this defensive group and they'll shine. Yes, you get a decent goalie behind this group and they'll shine. Uh, but Philip Grubauer also shined behind this group. As long as they're not named Hunter Miska. That's the only caveat. <laughs> basically. So what I'm basically saying here is some middle-of-the-pack goalies, so Chris Osgood with the Red Wings, Corey Crawford with the Blackhawks, they are the—it's kind of like the winger that plays with Sidney Crosby. Mm -hmm. It's not always the best player, but it's just the right fit. Pittsburgh can win a Stanley Cup. Pittsburgh's another option. Pittsburgh can win a Stanley Cup with a goalie like Philip Grubauer right now. Pittsburgh couldn't do it with Tristan Jari. He wasn't the right fit. So what you need from the Avalanche is, or for the Avalanche is a goaltender. And dude, it could be Pavel Fransuz. It could. It easily could. It could be him. What you need for the Avalanche is a goalie who is the right fit, who if you're not making nine and a half and your name is Vasilevsky or 10 and a half and your name is Carey Price or, you know, one of these higher level goalies, Marc-Andre Fleury at seven, so on and so forth, not just the money, but Connor Hellebuck, uh, John Gibson. If you're not one of the better names in the NHL, you just need to give the avalanche what Grubauer gave last year. And the avalanche could find that in many ways. And I'll give you a couple options. Antti Ranta's one. I'll give you another name. And then I'll give you a couple of trade offs. Okay, I've got two names myself. So before you get in the trade, let's, let me let me throw my two. Okay, go ahead. Let's hear it. Okay, so I'm gonna give my name first: Chris Dreger of the Florida Panthers, Anti Ranta, and then I have a couple names that are trade. So let's see what your UFAs are. I would love to see a guy like Ilya Sorokin in net. He's young, he's cheap, he's a free agent, and he's good. Well, isn't that funny? Because if the Islanders, so here's the thing with Ilya Sorokin, kind of like Kirill Kaprizov, he has the Russian flex on his team. Hey, uh, I uh, want to get re-signed and I want to make a lot of, oh, you don't want to give me the money that I want? All right, see you later. I'm going back to Russia, which by the way, is a thing that's happening with Kaprizov right now. He's pissed off with the wild. Their contract talks have stalled. If they don't give him the money that he deserves, he's threatening to go back to Russia. He's about to win the Calder Trophy. Interesting. I think... I mean, it's Lou Lamorello, so I don't know if it's going to happen. But Sorokin's going to get his, and that's going to open up a trade market for one Semyon Varlamov. Ooh, I would love that idea. I, You know me. You know how much I love that. And seeing the way he's performed this year, I know you and Ryan, I think, both have really credited Barry Trotz's system, but you also have to notice that he's made changes in his game himself, and I think he would come back to Colorado a better goalie than he left. 100%. I think he would appreciate and welcome it too. So you can, and, and I don't think he has any ill will towards the Avs. He, you know, ended the season on the IR two out of his last three years here. And then, you know, was beat out by Grubauer for the last one. So he's probably like, you know what? Like, yeah, that I, 
don't blame them for moving on. So yeah, you can sign Sorokin or Sorokin stays with the Islanders. It opens up a market for Varley, who has a $5 million cap hit if nothing is retained. The Avalanche have 5.4 in cap space, assuming they don't trade Burakovsky. If they trade Burakovsky and get someone making less, they have more than 5.4, which gives them enough for Varley, enough for Joey or Jacob McDonald as your seventh defenseman, and enough for Martin Cowd as your 13th forward or a UFA or whatever. Who's your other goalie option? Igor Shesterkin. Now, I think New York definitely has the money to sign him. He was making beans last year, less than a million dollars. Is he a UFA he's as well? He's a UFA as well, yeah, playing behind Georgiev. Um, but, you know, I think he, if you offer him the chance to have a starter role, you'll be competing with Francouz. I think both Sorokin and Shesterkin would look at that and say, I think I could beat this guy out and come and compete and maybe even win it. Pipe dream. I yeah, think that one's so a little bit more of a pipe dream than Sorokin. That, one, that one's a bit of a more of a pipe dream because uh, Shesterkin has basically been guaranteed the starter role in New, New York, and they've got a good thing going. The Islanders with Varlamov uh, and Lou Lamorello as their GM are going to look at Sorokin and be like, yeah, no, we're not going to cave to what you want. But maybe they do, and it opens up a market for Varley. The other one is, and this one's a little bit of an injury question mark, is Darcy Kemper. I thought you were going to say Henrik Lundqvist. Oh, hell no. No, absolutely not. I'm talking the trade goalies now. So Semyon Varlamov was my first trade market uh, person. The second one is Darcy Kemper. Darcy Kemper makes four and a half with Arizona. You bring him in. He fits right into your cap model. And again, this is assuming that the Avalanche don't sign any free agents, which is going to happen. But like, let's, you know, let's say you sign a free agent for 1 million. uh, Sample Ranta gets sent down. He makes 925. It's an even, you know, it's an even trade off. I think I think that's clear with the way, you know, he was suddenly cleared to uh, play again and they put him right back in immediately, taking out Carl Soderberg, right? So, yeah, I think that's it for sure. Mind you, Soderberg and Nemeth obviously aren't coming back, but this also includes the Avalanche not bringing back Matt Calvert or Pierre-Edward Belmar. If Matt Calvert's healthy and says, hey, I'll take 750K, go for it. I mean, Matt Nieto took 750K with the Sharks last year. I can see Matt Calvert doing that with the Avalanche this year. There's a guy, a guy. That's what the Avalanche need. They need to sign a bunch of uh guys to fill out their roster and the forward core and the depth. So that could be an option. But going back to the Darcy Kemper option, you bring him in for four and a half. Maybe the JT Comfort deal is part of the Darcy Kemper deal. Maybe that's where JT goes is to Arizona. But that brings me to the second wild card that I was talking about. So I talked about Andre Burakovsky and, you know, he makes 4.9. Donskoy makes 3.9. By the way, that's the biggest thing to remember here. Nichushkin making 2.5. You have three middle six wingers, or four if you include Saad, making two, five, three, nine. And if Saad signs for four and five, and then Burakovsky at four and nine, those are costly middle six wingers that when you re sign Nathan McKinnon, you're not going to be able to give that much money to your middle six wingers. That's when that number comes down. As soon as that number comes down, McKinnon's up for his new contract. So it kind of evens out. But I'm not talking about in two years from now, I'm talking about next year. The second wild card that I have. Do you remember the trade that brought Philip Grubauer to the Avalanche? I don't remember the details of it, no. Okay. Philip Grubauer was traded... Oh, yeah. Brooks Orpik. With Brooks Orpik for a second-round yeah. draft pick. What did the Avalanche do to Brooks Orpik? They uh, cut him. Retained his salary. They bought him out, retained that salary cap, and then Brooks Orpik went and signed back with the Washington Capitals for $1 million. Speaking of pipe dreams. <laughs> you think you, you, I think you know where I'm going with this. Yeah, I do. Eric Johnson's making $6 million on your blue line. If you call up the Arizona Coyotes and you say, we will give you a second rounder or hell, a first rounder. We will give you a first rounder and Eric Johnson 
for your goalie, Darcy Kemper. So you're basically trading if you're Arizona, uh, uh, pending UFA goalie in a season in Darcy Kemper for a first round draft pick from the Avalanche, but you're also going to take some money. So you're going to take Eric Johnson's money. You're going to buy him out. You're going to pay him one third. So $2 million over the next four years. You're not going to be good in the next four years anyway. Who gives a shit? You give Eric Johnson $2 million over the next four years. Joe Sackett calls up EJ and says, EJ, come on back over here for $2 million. You're EJ. You're making $4 million. You just made $6 million for playing two games and then getting cracked by Jordan Greenway. You're older. You know you've only got a few more chances at the cup. The Avalanche give up a first rounder. They get their starting goalie and they cut Eric Johnson's salary cap hit from $6 million to $2 million. You bring in Darcy Kemper, you suddenly have four-something million dollars to play with to add that extra winger on top of keeping Burakovsky, on top of signing Saad and Landeskog and Makar. And that extra $4 million also could be towards those players. Maybe I'm off and maybe Makar doesn't sign for 10 He signs a long-term deal for 11 Well, there's an extra million. Maybe I'm off and Landeskog doesn't make six and a half. He makes seven. Maybe Jost doesn't make two. He makes 2.25. You start to add those numbers. That's that cap you're saving from Eric Johnson. What do you think of that? I love the optimism. I love the best case scenario. We should, you know, that's kind of your middle name, Arif best case scenario, Dean. I mean, having everybody take a price cut and then have the miracle of a, a buyout from Arizona. I mean, a, a lot would have to go right. I love it. It would all be a good move. Just a matter of making that happen is, is the tough part, right? But here's the thing. Here's the thing is I'm not giving 17 best case scenarios to all happen at once. There's options. Mm -hmm. Brandon Saad making four and a half million is a very reasonable number. He might make five on the market. Gabe Landeskog making six and a half. Do you think, I mean, is it crazy to think, or let's say 6.8? Is it crazy to think Gabe Landeskog resigns with the Az for five years, 6.8? No. No, not that's not a crazy number. Kale McCarr making 10 million, whether it's a shorter long-term deal or, or a four or five-year deal. Is that crazy? Uh, uh, I guess I, I would say it's not unreasonable. I think it would be a little bit crazy from the Avalanche's standpoint to go that high, but I get it if it's short-term. I don't know. I think the Avalanche goes go that high if it's five or four, five or more years. Even though five years or four years walks him straight to UFA, if it's five or more years, I think that's reasonable. Because what you're going to see from the Vancouver Canucks this summer is Quinn Hughes is going to take a two year uh, bridge deal, and in two years from now he's going to go out and ask for like ten and a half, and he's going to get it because he's going to score seventy five points a season over the next two years. Then he's going to make ten and a half, and Joe Sakic's going to sit back with Chris McFarland and go ha ha ha. Your guy's now making more than the guy that just won the Norris Trophy two years in a row in Kale McCarr because we gave him a long-term deal two years ago. So if it's a long-term deal, I'm not saying Kale's going to get two years, 20 million, but if it's a five, six, seven, or eight-year deal, I can see Kale making 10 a year or 11 a year. I genuinely could. So that's not a crazy number. That's not Kale McCarr taking a pay cut. 10 million is a reasonable number. Gabe Landeskog, 6.7, 6.8 is reasonable. Saad, 4.5 is reasonable. So what I'm doing on top of those three things, I'm not, and I'm not going to sit here and be like, oh, and Grubauer signs for three and a half million and everybody's <laughs> back. No, I'm not going too far off the deep end and, and saying that something crazy is going to happen. No, I never said you did. I'm just saying it was a best case scenario. Yeah, on top of those three, now you start to have options. You trade JT Comfer, you clear up three and a half, assuming Graves is the one that gets taken. And that gives you all you need to sign a goalie like Chris Dreger for two and a half million. You know who Chris Dreger reminds me of, given his career numbers, how many games he's played in his age? He reminds me of Craig Anderson the first time he signed with the Avs. A late bloomer, didn't have a lot of NHL experience, but you knew his time was now. 
to be a starter to play 50, 60 games. So you can just do that and be done. Or you have options. You can say, we'll trade Burakovsky and sign a lesser paid forward. We'll trade Donsko and sign a lesser paid forward. We'll trade, uh, well, not Nichushkin. Uh, you know, you, well, we won't re-sign Tyson Joes. Instead, we'll use that money to get like a Ryan Getzlav at $3 million. There starts to be options. If none of those options make sense uh, and you want to trade for a goalie, well, now you also have the option of that crazy Eric Johnson thing. Uh, so basically, there is ways to make it work. There's many different ways. There's a lot of moving parts. You don't have a lot of untouchables on this team. You have McKinnon, you have Rantanen, and then uh, Newhook. You know, and this is without even talking about Nazem Kadri, but I just think it would be crazy given Kadri's got one more year at four and a half million. You have your second line center in the wings waiting in Alex Newhook, probably a year away from taking over that spot. Kadri doesn't have much value right now given his suspension history. There is no reason if you're the AFS to trade a 30-year-old who can provide what he can provide who only makes $4.5 million. You can have a second-line center next year for $4.5 million, or you can trade him and try to replace him with somebody who's not going to work, uh, who's going to want more money. I mean, let's look at what second-line centers in the NHL are making nowadays. Ryan Nugent Hopkins makes six. Kevin Hayes makes 7.1. So Kadri to me, doesn't seem like the option, but there is people there that you can trade. You know, maybe you don't want to bring back Connor Timmons. Maybe he's part of a trade and you use him to bring back another defenseman making around $2 million. You never know. But there's options there aside from signing these three guys, be it the Eric Johnson thing, be it signing somebody like Chris Dreger who might only make $2.5 be it trading for Varley who makes double that. So where are you going to clear up that double? Well, now you're going to trade Burakovsky or Donskoy, sign a lesser forward. There are things to do that can make this roster work. But ultimately... The biggest conclusion from this is Brandon Saad, in my opinion, is a necessity given the money he's going to bring and the guys on the market that are around his price. And Philip Grubauer has likely priced himself out of the avalanche because unlike Saad and unlike Landeskog, Gruby has not gotten the deal. He's not gotten his yet. He made $10 million over three years with the Avs. He's looking for a $30 million, $40 million contract. He can get that elsewhere. Probably someone like New Jersey even. But I don't think he's going to get that from the Avs. That makes sense. I'm thrown off a little bit. I thought we were going to have a whole debate on uh, the Grubauer situation, but I'm surprised you agreed with me. I had a, all these notes on why I think Grubauer is expendable, and you know he had a fine year, but it, there's a lot of goalies that could have jumped in there and done the same thing. I thought you were going to combat me on that. I'm, I'm surprised to see you take that stance, but no, I like what you said. You make a lot of sense, and we know Joe Sackick's going to be listening, might even take a, a point or two out of this because he usually does. He's Yeah, he's definitely taking notes from Hockey Mountain High. But that's that's kind of the thing that I always like to do is I don't like to sit here and romanticize, oh, they're doing it for the love of the cup. Like John Tavares took less money to sign with Toronto by San Jose. But did he really take less money? He took 11 instead of 12.7. Whoop-de-doo. I'm not going to sit here and be like, well, yeah, Gabe's going to take five and Saad's going to take two and Tyson Jose is going to play for league men and Connor Timmons is going to play for league men and Philip Grubauer was making 3.3. He's going to say, hey, Avalanche, give me a $200,000 raise. I will play for 3.5. <laughs> no, that's not going to happen. Brandon Saad, like Marion Hosa back in the day, it's reasonable for him to take a lesser deal. 4.5 instead of five. Like it's not a crazy cut. It's reasonable for Landis Glock to take 6.7 instead of 7.7 elsewhere. It's reasonable to think that. But someone like Philip Grubauer, who has not gotten his one big contract, if the Avalanche can't provide that, you need to look out for yourself. If he goes out of his way to be like, hey, I'll take two years, 10 million with this team. Let's see it through. I give him all the respect in the world. 
But if I'm in his position, I lost my chance at winning the cup this year. I am going to go sign a long-term deal elsewhere. Maybe someone like Pittsburgh or Toronto, someone that can actually win a cup will come knocking. But if not, it is what it is, man. I'm going to play on a bad team. I'm going to make a lot of money and I'm going to be rich. Like I have to get my contract and and I haven't gotten a chance yet. And hell, you're Philip Grubauer. You've already won a Stanley Cup. I mean, yeah, you were the backup and you started and you were 0-2, but you have a Stanley Cup ring. Go out and get yours. Yeah, I'm with it. I mean, you got to, like I said, you got to find ways to get better. If it takes a couple things, you know, cracking a few eggs to make the omelet, that's what it takes. And that's the uh, most crackable egg, I would say. So um, good that we're in agreement on that. I guess any other roster moves you want to throw out there or any other hypothetical situations before we wrap this baby up and uh, get out of here for the week? I, I hate that I keep going back to the Coyotes, but one of those middle six winger ideas that would be a good fit if you wanted to like, you know, sit here and hypothesize some ideas would be someone like Connor Garland. I mean, obviously him and Nathan McKinnon will have to little joke about the little helmet thing a little bit, but someone like Connor Garland does looking at the Montreal series and knowing the kind of game Connor Garland plays, is that not the kind of guy that you would love to see? Throwing out a line of Kadri, Garland, and Saad. Go out and just don't get suspended. Like how fun <laughs> would how fun would that line be? So those are the kind of guys you're going to need. This goes back to the beginning of our podcast. What would this Avalanche team need to beat the Montreal Canadiens if they were in that series, which I love how the 18th best team in the NHL is now like the the team that we're looking at, or even the Vegas the Golden Knights. And, yeah, the team to beat. Even the Vegas Golden Knights last series. What would you need? Well, obviously, Kadri to not be suspended and more guys like Connor Garland. If you take out Donskoy and you add Garland to the roster that they had last playoff series and Kadri's not suspended, it's a different series. It's a different outcome. The Avalanche are still playing. We're not doing this episode yet. So those are the kind of guys, when I think of who the Avalanche would bring in, it's guys like Connor Garland. And if you want to add a fourth liner, you want to bring back Calvert for league men, great. If not, bring back somebody, bring in somebody like Wayne Simmons or, or Corey Perry knowing that you're not doing the Toronto overcorrection of playing those guys in your middle six or your top line, you're playing them on the fourth line with, you know, the likes of Logan O'Connor and Tyson Jost, or maybe even Newhook sometimes. But uh, other than that, the only thing I do want to say is I, uh, I find it hilarious. And this was totally by accident that we just went through an entire thing talking about every UFA we've mentioned pretty much every UFA on the avalanche, including Nemeth and Soderberg. The only guy we haven't mentioned is Devin Dubnik, and uh, I completely forgot he was on the team. Obviously, Jonas Johansson's UFA too, but I forgot Dubnik was on the team, but uh, we're not going to be rolling with a Dubnik and Francouz duo next year, so uh, we don't really got to talk about Dub. He's one of those names that are above Philip Grubauer in salary somehow. That's crazy, yeah. I mean, he was was so great for so long, and then he just fell off the map in 2019-20, and... Well, and not to mention when the the Avalanche needed him, literally the only thing they brought him for, he dropped the ball and accidentally got COVID. Yeah, that's that's so funny. But yeah, I mean, uh, other than that, God, Matt Calvert's only 31. Liam O'Brien's a UFA. I can see him coming back. He for sure was an RFA. I can see him coming back to obviously be Eagles players and then, you know, depth if you run into 17 injuries at once, as the Avalanche usually do by November 1st. So uh yeah, I mean, there, there's a lot of things out there, but Elliot Friedman recently said in his 31 Thoughts podcast, you know, when he made that Landis Scott comment, he said, I think the Avalanche are a team to look at that's going to get creative. And a lot of the things that we just talked about are creative things that the Avalanche could too. But I think if you're Joe Sackick, you're listening to this and going, you guys don't even know what I have planned because who the hell saw Devon Taves coming last year? Wait till you see what I have planned this summer. 
And you mentioned how he hasn't done his postseason wrap-up yet. He probably took the first flight to Mexico <laughs> when he could and said, I need a break, just like the rest of us, right? I'm out of here. <laughs> He's on that flight with Landeskog going, can you believe these idiots think we're not signing you? <laughs> no, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, like, yeah, that's... I think if you're Joe Sackick, you're just not in the mood to talk about the fact that you have to, you know, plan for the expansion draft and you have to give a very diplomatic answer about Gabe Landeskog and his deal. I'm also sure he's probably not sweating, right? That's That, that was kind of my point by him going on vacation. He's not worried about it. Business as usual. He's got to do what he's got to do. Mm-hmm. Um, last thing before we wrap up, I wanted to get to a social media moment of the week. This one comes from Devon Taves. Not sure if you saw today on Twitter, but the Colorado Avalanche tweet out, say something nice about your favorite player. We're trying to see something. I'm not sure what they were doing. Maybe it was in response to all the backlash they got from that ridiculous tweet uh, about the trade deadline and how great it was to see familiar faces. And, you know, a lot of Avs fans tweeted back at them, uh, a lot of hatred. Um, But, of course, Devon Taves writes back to the Avalanche and says, hey, Kale McCarr. I think you are just a really nice guy. I love how Devon Taves loves to chime in and kind of chirp his teammates on, on social media for everybody to see, and then he just disappears, right? So uh, I, I love that. Just a quick little subtle shot. I mean, not even a sh- shot. You know Kale McCarr's a nice guy. He's just being nice and saying something funny and entertaining the crowd. So shout out Devon Taves for uh, being active on social media and giving us a social media moment of the week. Yeah, and uh, I, I love what that dude brings, and I'm so excited for him, and I hope Brandon Saad resigns because both those guys should get a chance to be on this team in a non-COVID world and really get to enjoy being players that play for the Avalanche in front of sold-out crowds, get to enjoy their teammates, go out with their teammates, go out with a team captained by Gabe Landeskog. So, uh, yeah, he's under contract for three more years, making 4.1, and he's a hell of a dude, and 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 he's a funny guy. Obviously, seems like he's uh, fitting in just fine. I know we were talking about like a month ago about what you just said. So yeah, it looks like he's doing just great. I thought it was also weird. I mentioned last week how I had watched the uh, Quest for the Cup on ESPN Plus, right? And they had the scene where I think it was Brandon Saad was giving the giant chain with an avalanche logo to Kale. And uh, he called him Kale Juice. He's like, this one is going to Kale Juice. And I was like, that is the stupidest nickname for Kale McCarr that you could think of. Welcome to the NHL. It's a locker room with Sodder and uh, Gruby and Landy and uh, Nate. Yeah, those don't work very hey, well. Uh, Nathan, what, what's your nickname? Nate. Okay, great. Hey, uh, the dog. Yeah. <laughs> Zidorov, what's your nickname? They call me Z. Oh, creative. Love it. Beautiful. Yeah, I, I, I'm not surprised by the lack of creativity in the nicknames. Welcome to an NHL locker room. Brandon Sod is Sodder. Gerard, what's your nickname? They call me G. Yeah, I'm G. Kale. Kale. <laughs> This, you know, take the C in the take the C in the beginning of my name and just change it to a K. Ha ha ha. Yeah, that's pretty <laughs> much what they did. Um, and if you're wondering why we're not talking about the draft, it's because who cares? The Avalanche have a lot of prospects. They only have a first, a third, and a seventh. They somehow, after trading all their draft picks, still have a first rounder this year. Um, they still got Newhook. They still got Ranta. They still got Cout. They still got Bowers. And they still got the forgotten Justin Barron. So uh, it's great to see that the Avalanche aren't looking forward to the draft as we usually are with this team because they've been so bad for so long. Yep, absolutely. So I guess uh, that's a good place to stop here on our first off-season podcast of the off-season. So thanks for hanging out with us. Of course, if you made it this far in the podcast, bless your heart. I know that was a lot of hype 
hypothesis and uh, you know just throwing shit it's at the what wall. What people want, but I liked it. I liked it, and I think uh, you really had something there. So um, let us know what you think on Twitter, of course, at Run Right Era for him, at JJ of the Year for myself, and as usual, hockey's for everyone. And we at you.